How many people, It's a Wonderful Life is your Christmas movie? Raise your hand. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we were driving around traffic and everybody had an angel that would pop up and tell them to be good here in Corona? We'd be able to get to places. That'd be great. Just tap them on the shoulder and say, you don't have to get yell or cut people off or crash into the mountain on the way down from Cahalco, which I saw a lot of this particular holiday season. But also, if you like It's a Wonderful Life, you actually don't have to watch it on television this year. You can come here next week on the 7th and 8th and watch it live. We're doing a Reader's Theater of It's a Wonderful Life. And that starts at 7, and then there'll be one at 6 next Saturday and Sunday. And so these are tickets you can pick up to invite people. It's free. And the reason why we're doing a lot of these things for the holiday season is because we want to have an opportunity to invite people in to get to know us. We're the church, we're the people, and we need opportunities for them to come in. Some people, it's too hard to come all the way in here and listen to a sermon. It's just not their territory. They don't know what it's like. So you create a space where everybody can have a fun time and just celebrate and actually have you know, a time where they can celebrate Christmas together. And we're looking for those moments. But it, it only starts with you bringing your friends and your neighbors. So we're providing lots of these opportunities next week and the week after as we go through the Christmas holiday season. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. And that's really what it's all about. And we are officially starting our Christmas season. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Are you ready? I know some of you start in October. <laughs> some of us just had Thanksgiving where we're still working off that turkey. How many gained about six pounds from eating turkey? Yes. How many of you uh, watched football, football watchers? All right, there's a few of you. I started a new tradition this year. I stayed up at midnight, and I watched The Mandalorian. There we go. Now I'm in my crowd. I'm feeling comfortable now. As you can see, I'm slightly a fan, and I really enjoyed myself. I stayed up, and I got to watch Baby Yoda. Of course, that's not the meaning of Christmas, the wrong baby, but still fun. And it's a new tradition. So hopefully, whatever you did, you're recovering from that. And so we are starting this series to talk about the holiday season, really to kind of help you get into the holiday mood, to, to stop things from happening and getting in the way of enjoying Christmas. So this series that we're starting is called Making, Christmas, uh, Making Spirits Bright, keeping your spirits up during the Christmas, and then avoiding these things that want to kill your Christmas. So in the next week, they're going to talk about unforgiveness and how that affects your, your holiday season. We're going to talk about discontent, being discontent, and then we're going to talk about greed, but today we're going to talk about something that you know, nobody really ever deals with. It's very abstract. It's called stress. No, nobody stresses during the holiday at all, right? It's like the stress-free time of the year. And so I kind of wanted to find out what stress is all about uh, during the holiday season. So I went to the almighty internet where we solve all of our problems these days and asked them, what's the most stressful time of year, internet? And it came back with the American Psychiatric Association saying, the holiday season is the most stressful time of the year. Okay, we paid for that. That's a thing that we paid for. Uh, I didn't need to, I already knew that. I didn't need the study, but it was interesting. That's not all the study said. It also said why people are stressful during the holiday season. So some people say it's not enough time to get everything done. That was one of the high ones. Money and finances came up. Gift-giving pressures. Family get-togethers. Worrying about time off of work. Trying to figure out how to make things uh, happen during the holidays. And so I thought, okay, well, that's what the nation seems to be reporting. Over-commercialization was another one. Um, so I wanted to do something even more. So I consulted a local expert in how, what's going on in our community. I consulted Facebook. And so I put on Facebook, because nothing ever goes wrong on Facebook, I put, uh, uh, what stresses you out most during the holidays? And so I got some responses, and so I just kind of want to read some of them and see if any of these may apply to some of you. One of them is uh, disappointing people, people-pleasing with gifts. 
I remember one year I got a gift. Uh, no one knew what to get me, and so I got four wallets that are exactly the same, and I got three things of cologne, and I was a teenager. I thought, do I stink and need to get a job? What is going on here? <laughs> this is stressful. Like, what kind of gift do I get people? Uh, expectations placed on family and kids where you have all these activities and, and my mom this week and then my, my parents are coming over and so I have to be a, uh, take care of them and so you start having all these expectations. Well, you're supposed to go do these things because if you don't do them, that's not the holidays. Pretending to be happy when you feel awful. Just like you're in pain, you're just like, oh, hey, Merry Christmas and I have to put a fake smile on and that causes a lot of people stress. The other one is missing someone that isn't with you. You know, holiday seasons get rough. You miss that loved one that isn't with you. That person that's far away, maybe someone's in the military or college or they passed away and you remember the times that you spent with them. So they put, they put that on their list. Being around relatives. Someone just put, being around my blood relatives. That's it. That's what stresses me out. That's enough. The pressure to make things special. Everything's got to be special. We're supposed to be happy. It's Christmas. It's Jesus. We have to be happy. Stressing on it, getting everything done, trying to figure out which parties to go to, because so many people like me, i got to figure out who to disappoint this year. <laughs> so you're trying to figure out, if you're from my background, it's like when your parents are divorced and you're trying to figure out, hmm, who am I staying with the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and are we going to fight over that, and do I want to stay with so-and-so, and all of a sudden the stress as a kid starts to build on you. And so there's many, many reasons why people stress during the holidays. And it's really hard to figure out, well, what do we do as Christians? What do we do as people? And so first off, I wanted to start uh, with defining what I think stress is. Stress is strain and tension resulting in adverse uh, and, and very difficult and demanding circumstances. So that's what stress is. Um, stress is like when you want to preach on stress and like right on the Saturday service, you lose like a third of your notes in the computer and you have to rewrite that because you're preaching on stress, and you have a wonderful illustration of what stress is because you're feeling it. It's that pressure that comes with, comes with life. It's the difficulty that comes when you're stressed out. So I wanted to do something because I wanted this to be more practical. My, my background is in psychology and, so, and, and social work, so I wanted to kind of give a moment. So in your notes, you have this little notes here. There's this section here, and we're actually going to do this. So if you don't do this, it's going to be a very boring service for you because um, we're going to go through these things later on. What I want you to do is take a Jeopardy moment, sit down while the Jeopardy theme song hums in my head, and write down what you think stresses you out the most this holiday. It could be something that you just had Thanksgiving, so you should have a good primer of what stressed you out. What are you worried about? What is stressing you out the most during the holiday season? So take some time. I'll wait. I have nothing to do. New, new, new. Could be from the list. Try not to write a book. <laughs> All right, hopefully you got a few things. So we're talking about stress. So I, I don't think the Bible says that, that, a stre that stress is going to be removed from our life, because if you think about it, Jesus was pulled into the wilderness, and the devil was trying to tempt him and causing him distress, trying to pressure him to turn stones into bread. And he said, what? Man does not live by bread alone, but everything that comes out of the mouth of God. So you pressure from the outside doesn't always have to tear you apart from the inside. But stress is something I think that's common to all of us. And it's really trying to figure out during the holidays how stress affects us. And when we get into something that the Bible likes to call anxiety or worry, when you start worrying about stuff, when you pass the level of just filling the stress or the pressure and you get into worry and anxiety. 
So it's really trying to stumble through, and Greg had mentioned this passage about, it doesn't seem like a normal passage where you would think about Christmas. And so I was looking at it, and then I started to realize it really does fit perfectly here. And it's Martha and Mary. So now you can go back and talk about Jesus and how difficult it was for him when he was being born and the whole idea of his family. But I wanted to think about this. During Christmas, we gather around to celebrate Christ. And this has happened several times in the Bible. So with that being said, I wanted to turn to a passage where Mary and Martha are inviting the Jesus over to their house to celebrate him and have a party with him there, literally there in the presence. And so as a, as a Christian, this is really close to exactly kind of what people experience. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, we'll kind of go through this story together. It's an interesting story, and it starts off, now, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Martha has a home, and she's welcoming Jesus in because she's a disciple of God, and so is her sister Mary. Now, a lot of commentary says that Martha was probably uh, a widower because her husband's not mentioned in the story, and she's running this household, and she's inviting him in. So she invites Jesus in, and she's trying to serve Jesus, and so it goes on, and, and her sister's there. It said she had a sister named Mary called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this is really a shock because back then, sitting at the foot of a teacher was something that a male person would do and and a student only, someone who was a disciple. It's a discipleship position. Typically, she should be serving. But Mary is sitting at the foot of Jesus and Jesus is not telling her to go away. But Martha is literally in there preparing a meal, trying to get stuff done. She's trying to serve God. She's trying to serve this the Lord that she loves. She loves the Lord, and she starts to serve him, and she starts to get frustrated. And it says, she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. And, And that's the key here. You start to see, like, Jesus doesn't say, sure, get up, Mary, go into the kitchen. And Martha's in there going, look, I'm trying to serve people. I'm trying to serve you. I invited your house. Lord, help me. I need your help. Why aren't you sending someone to help me? And it was her role in the family. That was the role that everybody assigned in her culture, that she's supposed to help people. And instead, God says, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And this is odd. And you start to go, well, wait a minute, there's got to be someone in the kitchen doing all the hard work to make the holiday season work. There's got to be someone that's taking care of all these needs. There's got to be someone who's doing all the good things in order for other people to celebrate Jesus. So why is Jesus correcting Martha? Isn't Martha doing good things? Isn't Martha, it says that she's serving. She's serving. There's so many times in the Bible where God mentions how much serving other people is important how we need to serve our people. We need to serve other people. We need to go out of our way to care. We need to have our help. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to invite people to church. I'm trying to reach my neighbors around me. I'm trying to get this Christmas thing done. I got all these obligations and I'm starting to get frustrated, God. Where are you? I'm trying to do a good thing for you. And it's so easy as we go through, we have all these obligations. We have all these strict, we're trying to do good things. These aren't things that are bad. We're trying to take care of our families. We're trying to do something. And it's funny that Jesus' response, because it's a really weird response. And it's something that I feel oftentimes when I'm in stress. And so what I'd like to do is put my name in this section, because Jesus is, this is Jesus' answer to her stress. So I put my name, Stephen, Stephen, you are anxious about and troubled about many things. 
Think of that, that's with God. You put your name there and God's saying you. You're like worried and you go to God and he's like, I see that you're troubled. I see that you're anxious and troubled about many things. Yeah, Jesus, I have stress. Things are going on in my life. Where are you? How come you're not sending anyone to help me? It seems like a common response, but when you take a look back and you think about it and you stop, Jesus is actually acknowledging her situation. You are troubled. You are anxious and troubled about many things. I see that. I see that when you're stressed out during the holidays and you're missing someone that you wish she was there. God sees that. When you're doing all this hard work, God sees that. He knows what situations you're in. He knows the good that you're trying to do. But there's something missing. And I think that's the key that kind of unlocks this verse. That kind of unlocks what's going on here in the passage. Because Martha is doing a good thing. But according to Jesus, she's not doing the one thing that's necessary. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, sometimes when we're trying to do all these things in our family, and we're trying to serve our community, we're trying to be a good steward of our money, we're trying to do all these things, God becomes one of those things. I have to go to church, and then i got to do my finances, and then... And everything is separate. And he's one of the good things. But he's not the main thing. It says that Martha was distracted with good, doing good things in her service. She was distracted. It's like being torn apart. When you feel that pressure, and instead of it just being pressure, it's ripping you apart. And you're worrying, well, how are these things going to get done? I'm, I'm fearful. I don't know what's going to happen in this outcome. And you start stressing out. And it starts worrying about hope. And you start losing hope. And you start getting into despair. And God sees you doing that, and he says, you know what? The one thing that's necessary is what you're missing. And that is spending time with God. That Martha wanted to do all these things. She wanted to feed Jesus, but she never thought that Jesus might want to feed her. That it, this is a relationship, that he wanted to spend time with her, that he wanted to instruct her. Mary was uh, was, a, was a disciple who wanted to hear what God had to say about her life. Jesus is in her home, and, he, and she had an opportunity to talk to God. And she was going to take that opportunity to listen to what he had to say. And that's the key. We can do all the good things in the world, but if we forget that one necessary thing, none of the other things are going to happen or going to work. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get mad. And so this is why I love this quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So I, I go to God not because, you know, oh, it's just nice to sit there, but also he's the one that tells me how to deal with the stress. He knows what I'm going through, and he knows the difficult situation that I'm going to. And he's the one that has the answers to everything. You have the God of the universe living inside your heart, wanting to communicate you, with you, and he just wants a moment of your time. And the question is, are we so distracted by everything around us, even the good things that we do, that we never even start with the necessary thing? How necessary is, when you get stressed out, that is the moment at which you find out how necessary God is in your life. It's the thing that tests your character. It tests what your faith is built on. Because stress comes to all people. So when it came for Jesus, when the devil was tempting him, he goes, no, I have a relationship with the Father. Everything that comes out of his mouth is all that I need. I've got everything I need through my Father God. And Jesus is saying, I want to feed you. 
I don't want you to sit at my feet. I want you to spend time with me. Think about that. The God of the universe wants to spend time with you to help you with your stress, to help you with your life, to anchor everything that you're doing so that you're without fear, without anger, without aggression, that you're able to stand when that pressure comes. And that's the thing I think it's real easy to get distracted over and miss during the holidays. And it's really hard sometimes to figure out, like, what do I do when I'm stressed, God? How do I turn to you? And I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I understand that anxiety is a big problem. That's why we have a counseling center. Sometimes you have to work through these issues. But I think it starts with us acknowledging that if we go through life without God, we are kind of on our own, and that's when we get stressed. So I'm saying, as you go through your holidays, the challenge for this whole entire message is to make God the center of everything you do. It's kind of like a nativity scene, right? I went to a store one time, and there was this nativity scene, but there's no baby Jesus. I'm like, where's the baby Jesus? Why are they still selling this? What's the point of this nativity? And so you have a nativity without baby Jesus. There's a bunch of people gathered for no apparent reason. And that's sometimes the look and the feel of Christmas when we forget to put Jesus in Christmas and we, get to, we don't sit in the morning. And once you do this, once you start sitting with God and you sit with his word, because not, Mary's not just sitting there. She's listening to what God has to say about her life, about life in general, about how she can see. It's like the sun shining. It reveals how everything should be solved, how everything should work, how things are ordered, what he wants to do. It allows you to see the beauty and the joy of things because you're spending time with God. And God wants to do that with you, like a relationship. So, it, but it's easy sometimes when you get in these situations to think, you know what, all I have to do then now to have a good Christmas, I won't have stress, I just go in and pray and Jesus will solve all my problems. And if that's what you're getting from this message, that you just need to check off God and pray, you're missing it. That's not what this is about. I, I know it's, it's more complicated than that. And so that's why I didn't want to just leave you with, hey, just spend time to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Because I know that it's a little more difficult. So I wanted to write down those things that are stressing you. And I wanted to actually see if we could apply those to the scripture to see what the scripture has to say about that. And so take those things with you that you wrote. And we're actually going to go through these things. And we're going to turn to a very famous book, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Where a man who's writing about joy while he's in prison. Talking about how he remains joyful when it's difficult. I don't know how many Christmases Paul must have, or how many holiday seasons Paul must have spent in prison. A man who gave up family so that he could preach the gospel. And I just marveled at the fact that this man had gone through so many things. How does this guy stay connected to God so strongly with all the difficulties in his life? And that's why I love this book, because it really dives into what, it, what you do when you're anxious and you're worried. And so this passage is probably one of the most popular passages when it comes to worry and when it comes to frustration. So we're going to go through it. So take the thing that frustrates you out for me, uh, stresses you out the most. Take one of the things on your list. I challenge you to do this with the rest of the things on your list, but at least we're going to start with one. And for me, it often is to do with the stress that comes from either missing a loved one or someone grieving or someone in pain, and you can't do anything about it. That stresses me out. There are people in my family that are in pain, that are hurting, and you just can't do anything about it. And that's how it feels, right? So that's one of my stressors. You put whatever is there. Maybe it's your, you get mad at someone at your party or you have a hard time with your family members. Whatever's stressing you out, we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say about that. We're going to spend time contemplating our relationship with God as we go through this passage. So let's start with Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And it says, choose to rejoice in the Lord is what I say. So right here it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
So we start with that, Lord, I need to rejoice. When I was a kid, I don't know if you remember, there was a song called Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I say rejoice, and all the kids are like, yay, there you go. And I'd be like, that's a great song. What's rejoice? What's that mean? When I got older, I had to figure out what is rejoicing in. Rejoice in the Lord, what does that mean? Do I, that mean I sing to God? It may be. But what it means is that I delight in who he is in any given circumstances because I'm in a relationship with him. And he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always do it. And again, I say rejoice. It's almost like a command. And it's like, well, I don't feel like it. Should I just fake it? Is that what it does? And it's no, it's contemplating who God is in your life. To rejoice in the Lord. I lost someone, God, but I know that that person's with you in heaven. I know that people are grieving, but someday they're not going to grieve because you're here with me. And I can rejoice in my suffering because of that. Thank you, God, for being a God who is, this, who is in charge of the entire universe, who knows who I am, who knows that I'm grieving because you experienced grief. You experienced loss. I can rejoice even in my darkest time because this is as dark as it's going to get. That's rejoicing in the Lord even in your difficult times. But it's a choice. It says, let other people see that you are gentle and reasonable. So this passage says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. So it's the holiday season, and it's really weird. Some translations say gentleness, others say reasonableness. To me, those things are not the same. What do you mean? And I looked it up, and it's sweet reasonableness is one of the translations. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's the sense is that you actually do invoke reason, but you do so kindly. It's kind of like what you would do with a child. No, don't hit your brother. We don't hit people. We love people. You're gentle, but you tell the truth. You're reasonable. You understand how God wants us to care for each other. And sometimes that means having a difficult conversation. I know you're angry. I know life's not going well for you. But can we just try to get through this difficult time together in the holiday season? Gently, I understand that pain. Maybe take a moment and pray for a person. Sometimes we shove pain away because we don't want to have that experience. And it might be a moment to care for someone, gently telling them, look, let's grieve a little bit, but then let's, let's enjoy the celebration. That's a hard thing to do. You do it sweetly, you do it reasonably, and it's not always going to work out the way you want, but we have to try. We have to, to continue to do that. But you're not alone in that circumstance. You have God, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Because this next verse just says, the Lord is at hand. And a lot of people interpret this to mean God's coming back. And that is true, but it also means that he's literally near you. I don't know if that creeps you out. Like when I'm home alone in my house, all of a sudden Alexa says something, that's freaky. I'm like, oh, I have Alexa here. Why is she talking for no apparent reason? She heard something. But with God, he's always present. He's at hand. You're able to talk to him. You don't have to go through life figuring it out on your own. You can literally talk to God. He's near. And I think it's so easy when we get busy to just... Be like, where's God? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I'm a Christian. I got to talk to God. That he's in a relationship with you and he wants to communicate with you at any moment at any time. And that's why it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It says, don't be anxious because anxiousness is like you're hoping, you don't have hope. Everything's falling apart, but you have hope. So he says, well, as soon as you feel the anxiety rising inside of you, immediately turn to the Lord and pray. What is prayer? Is there any kind of prayer? God, just pray. And that's what that verse is, all kinds of prayer. The other one is supplication. It's specific. Lord, I'm really grieving right now. Help me through this experience. It's hurting, Lord. I need your help. I'm petitioning you for this one thing. But it says to do so with thanksgiving. 
And I think that's interesting because when Martha was presenting her need to God, God still addressed her need because God is a loving God. He still answers her and corrects her and tells her what's going on. But she yelled at God. And I think sometimes that's an honest reproach. But what keeps you from yelling at God is how thankful you are before you ask your petition. And I think sometimes you go, look, God, I know that no matter what happens, I'm thankful that you're with me. That even if this isn't the outcome I want, God, I know you love me. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful to be a part of the family of God. Now, God, please help me in this specific area. Because this area isn't the only area in our lives. We get so moment to moment that we think if we don't get this one thing, that nothing else matters but this thing. But I know that you care about me and that life is more than this one stress. And that life is a bigger thing, that you have more good things for me than just this one thing. So it opens up the field. And that's why it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's the peace of God that we're trying to heal, we're trying to get. And it comes from knowing where you are in Christ Jesus. And so as we go, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you ever think when you're stressed out that the only thing you think about is the stress? And there's nothing else that matters. Oh, oh gosh, life is so miserable because this one thing is stressing me out. I have no good things in my life. There's no lovely things in my life. Life is just nothing but this one stress. And that's the thing I, I, I try to look for now when I'm in when difficult times. Because there are times when you're just stressed out and you don't know what to do. You can always do something good. So you may not solve this problem when everybody's screaming and yelling. You may not have everybody get along. But there may be one person I can love that day. I may not raise the volume louder because everybody's shouting. I might be calm. I can add a good thing even though it's not going to change the circumstances. And sometimes we lose sight of what we're doing. I took a AAA class one time, and they said that people run into things because when they're running off a road and there's two trees, they run right into the tree instead of looking for the opening between the tree. Because whatever you look at, you're running right into but if they look for the opening, they're more likely when they skid off a road to get through the opening because they're looking for an opening. And I think that's kind of what this passage is saying. Don't be so fixated on just what's stressing you out. Let God open up your life and look at all of the wonderful good things you can do in the midst of a dark thing. And see if that doesn't change or pivot this, the experience for you. And then the next part comes, and I think it's really uh, meaningful because it says uh, these aren't just things that, you, that are understood or felt but our practice over time to shape us into the image of God. He says, what you've learned, he's talking about himself, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and, the, and again, the God of peace will be with you. As you practice these things, God's with you. He says, look, guess what? This sermon, you're gonna hear a lot of stuff, but it's not gonna, serve, it's not gonna solve all your stress problems. Literally, these are practices. It's, you don't just go, oh, now I, under, I comprehend you, God. Now I don't have to do anything. <laughs> The difficult part comes when the stress comes. It proves what you're made of and who you believe in. And I think that's the thing. He's just like, look, this is going to take some practice. You're not going to get through it all the time. You're going to fail. Ask for forgiveness. Keep going. Keep moving. But know that this takes time and practice these things because they are a practice. That's why literally I wanted you to look at your stress and practice. How do, how do I deal with this, Lord? Is there a good thing I can add to this circumstance? If when everybody's sad, let's have a moment to remember the lost person and why we loved him and thank God that he was with us because we miss him. 
So, the peace of God is with us all, and the God of peace will be with you. And that's what he's trying to say. Look, the God of peace is with us all. He's with you, and he's with you, and he wants to spend time with you. He just wants you to sit and focus in and really calibrate what you are and what it is. He wants to spend time with you. And I was thinking, like, how do I illustrate God's desire to spend time with you? Well, during Thanksgiving, my nephew, Josiah, had all four of his wisdom teeth pulled. And he did this so he can spend Christmas with us because he thought Christmas was a better holiday. He doesn't like turkey as much as he likes ham. So he's like, okay, well, I'll have my teeth pulled now, and then we'll later on. And he's 18 now, and we don't, we don't know where God's going to send him next year. He might be at college. And he came out, and because he wasn't feeling good, he sat with the family. He's a typical teenager, wants to go play on the video games. And then you come out, you go, oh, look, it's you. you you've grown three inches since the last time I saw you out of the bedroom. And he... <laughs> So he sat with us the whole time, and the whole family was like, oh, my gosh, it's so good to see you. We missed you. We love you. It's so good. And he's like, uh-huh, wow. We literally had to pull teeth to get him to hang out with us. And it was like, that. my desire is like, oh, I love you so much. I so want to hang out with you. I missed you. I love you. I, hang, I want you to be with you. I don't know how much time we have with you, but you're a blessing, and I want to tell you what I, that I love you and that I care about you. And that's what God wants to do with each of us. Look, I'm here. I, that's the whole point of Christmas. I came down to be with you. Do you want to be with me? And that's our choice. But it's God's desire that he would want you to be with him, that we make him the center of everything that we do so that when stress comes, we're okay. The God of the universe is with me. I can have joy. I can have peace. I don't have to be afraid. And it's not going to happen overnight, and you might have to go to the counseling center to work on your deep anxiety issues because it's a practice. So I encourage you to do that. If you want to go to the, we get the number, you call the office, we'll give you the number of the Encourager Center, and you can talk to them because it doesn't happen overnight. And we understand that. If you need prayer tonight, we have prayer in the back. Don't leave here without the family of God comforting you with your difficult time. But I wanted to close with just taking the time also this week to actually sit down with God and, and, and actually ask him Go through these passages, go to other passages, and ask him to help you through this, this difficult time. Make a plan. Think about what you want to do when God's with you. And I just wanted to end with this verse because I think this verse is really important. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. And again, Paul's like, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, all the things that are around us that are stressing us out, but to the things that are unseen, the real spiritual things that are going on. For the things that are, are, are seen are just transient. They come and they go, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You are an eternal being. The people that you interact with are eternal beings. There's something else going on in the world. There's people to hear that this might be the worst thing for you as a Christian. This might be the only worst experience you're ever going to get, but this is as bad as it gets because we have eternity in heaven with God. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain, no more heartache. You'll have a family to surround you, a loving God to fellowship with. You'll be celebrating Christmas every day. And we have that joy set before us that when we grieve here on earth, we have hope in heaven. We are not people that grieve without hope. And so that's what I want to say this holiday season. Just remember, no matter how bad it gets, we have hope. And the Bible says, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, but not faint. We are going to feel stress. We're going to walk. We're going to run. We're going to be okay. We're going to be strong enough. We're going to have the muscles to deal with it because God is with us. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for those people. There might be someone here tonight or today, Lord, that just doesn't know who you are. They don't have the peace. They run around in fear, God. I pray for that person because they need you. Because without you, God, it's hard to see anything and it's just all darkness. So if that's you right now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to raise your hand. Now, if you raise your hand, I, want, I don't want to say, I just say this prayer with me. God, I don't know a lot of things about life, God, but I, I know that I need you. I feel I'm drawn close to you, God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know there are things in my life they're just not right, God. And I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to have that hope. I want to have that peace. So God, come into my heart. Come into my life, God. And be my savior. Lord, I pray for those people. Maybe they're still on the fence. Maybe they still have questions. Maybe they're still doubting that you can actually work through their living experiences in real life, God. Let us be available as a church to answer those questions. So when we see our neighbors, we don't just see a guy who annoys me. We look past this worldly momentary circumstances. Because being worldly is just being distracted, God. Just caring only about what's going in front of me. It's not just about sin. So I pray for us as a church that we open up our hearts this Christmas. That we're able and strong to stand through the difficult times. To love those that you've placed around us. Genuinely and sincerely. Because we don't have fear, God. We know that you love us. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Be with these people as they go, Lord. And I just pray that you bless them as we worship you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.